Coming up next here on the Brandon's World Podcast. Brandon's in sound with Believe Win Media member Josh Unger. The two are the new overtime rule in the National Football League, plus Deshaun Watson coming to Cleveland and all of the NFL news. Plus, we touch on the new MLB CBA, the Guardian season, and the most stupendous WrestleMania history, as well as some NBA basketball. The Brandon's World Podcast starts now. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, generations, you are listening to another episode of the Brandon's World Podcast here on this Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. I am here today with a man who I have done one podcast with in my own life. That was on the All of Things Cleveland Cowboys podcast as a fill-in for my man, Joey Schneider. Here we are today with my Believe Land Media co-worker, Josh Unger. Josh, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing better than I was on that podcast. Uh, I am doing better with my broken arm situation. Got all the staples out, physical therapy. So, yeah. Well, good to hear, Josh. And, you know, I know you're a big football fan. So I want to start because I haven't gotten to address this yet. Uh, on my podcast because, well, the news just broke down and we're recording this here on a Tuesday. The NFL just instituted what, in my opinion, is a huge rule change. This is no, you know, minor rule change. The overtime period is now going to be that both teams, no matter what score happens, get possession of the football I'll give you my thoughts on it, but first, I want to hear your thoughts. So, first of all, it's only this rule only goes into effect for the postseason. It does not go into effect for the regular season. The regular season rule stays the same. But, uh, yeah, I thought the whole overtime rule was total BS. Like... That just doesn't seem right when it's like you lose the coin toss and then I don't want to say you're almost assuredly going to lose because, like, I believe the Chiefs won the coin toss in the AFC Championship and yet Cincinnati won. But generally, what happens is if you win the coin toss, you're probably going to win. So that just doesn't seem right that one team gets penalized for calling tails when they should have called heads. So once again, we disagree uh, because as I have said over the past couple months, you know, when it came out about the Bills and Chiefs overtime game last postseason and everybody was in an uproar. Oh my God. I said exactly what Cincinnati did the next week. You know what Cincinnati did? They got a stop. If you play 60 minutes of football and you can't stop a football team for one drive, that's your problem. That's that's not my problem. That's not Cincinnati's problem. It's not Kansas City's problem. It's Buffalo's problem. I've always believed. Now, I'll give you this. The overtime rule of if you kick a field goal, uh, you know, the game continues. If you score a touchdown, you know, certainly uh, in the, the, the regular season, the game's over. 
I don't like that either. I love the old way of overtime equals sudden death. Because you know what overtime means? Overtime literally means overtime. It is past the period of the given time that a game is supposed to occur. Obviously, in basketball, you can't do that because, like, you know, if a team makes a shot, boom, the game's over. That seems a little bit unfair. Uh, Exactly. But, you know, typically in football, you know, each team gets one possession, you know, but if you can't stop them, we shouldn't reward you for getting another possession. It's just the way the game works. That I I do understand that. And I guess to further your point, which I'm not trying to undercut my own, but still, like, in hockey with the NHL, the way they do it is sudden death overtime. If somebody scores a goal in overtime, game over. And if nobody scores in the period, in the overtime period, then they go to a shootout. Although in the Stanley Cup playoffs, they just do multiple overtimes because they don't, because it's just more fun to do it that way instead of the shootout. So I totally, totally understand your point of, well, we should reward, you shouldn't give the opponent who couldn't make the defensive stop a chance. But at the same time, it's both teams are playing each other, right? It's not just like Kansas City is playing against like, cardboard boxes. No, they're, right? they're playing against a legit NFL defense who, by the way, couldn't stop them pretty much for four quarters. Cincinnati does it, though, and they get rewarded because, again, they're able to get the field goal in that sudden situation and win the ball game. Football and hockey are, are similar sports. Basketball and baseball aren't really contact sports. The reason why the NFL and the NHL want to get these games over with is because there they're are contact. And I, I give you, again, the postseason is different because we're dealing with, at that point, the best quarterbacks in the world, the best head coaches in the world, the best play callers in the world, the best teams in the world. There's exactly. A stat, there's a stat out there that I think 55% of the teams that win the coin dust in overtime in the regular season win, but it's 90% in the postseason. And so that's where even with less games, the data comes in. My worry here is, again, eventually you would think that a Buffalo or Kansas City would say that this overtime rule was in last year and Buffalo does get a chance. You would think eventually that Buffalo or Kansas City was going to get a stop and win the ball game, but that game could have went on all night long the way both those teams were moving the ball. And it as a ripple effect, and whoever wins that game for the next week. Right, I get that. But let me ask you this. When you were watching, like, the fourth quarter of that Buffalo-Kansas City game, I know we're zeroing in on the Buffalo-Kansas City game, but I feel like that's really where this rule stemmed from. So that's why we're focusing so much in on it. But let me ask you this. When you were watching that fourth quarter and overtime, were you on the edge of your seat, like, wondering what was going to happen next? Well, I'll put it this way, uh, and not to take a cheap shot at what will be the former Browns quarterback, but the whole time I was watching that game, I was thinking, man, the Browns don't have the answer quarterback. That's not the here nor there. 
But no, when when I was watching that game, yes, I think the whole world was on the edge of your seat. But I'm gonna exactly here's the thing though. I'm gonna counter your point. Weren't you on the edge of your seat when Kansas City and Cincinnati went to overtime the next week? Exactly. Yes, but Cincinnati got the stop. So right, I get that they did their job. Buffalo did not, and that's the reason why Kansas City's moving on. I will say this. I am glad they did not go to the college overtime system. I think it's way too gimmicky. Uh, I don't like gimmicks in overtime. Uh, you know, I don't like, you know, what the new, um, God, what's it called, USFL is going to do, where it's just changing yard line, two-point conversions. Like, to me, it's you basically, what the NFL is saying is, we're going to start a new game. And, you know, I mean, it's overnight. We're going to start a new game. Whoever scores first in the regular season is going to win, barring if it's a field goal. Then another team gets a possession. I always thought that's been a little bit wacky. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, and, you know, I think more rules. I think eventually we're going to get to this rule that they're instrumenting in the postseason going to be throughout the regular season. It's just, you know, a matter of time. Yeah. I feel like it's going to eventually get to that. Trust me, I do get what you're saying overall. And to some some extent, I don't disagree with you. But I just don't like the whole idea of one. I get it. You played 60 minutes. You should be able to get the defensive stop. Trust me, I do get that. But just the overall concept of, oh, I I called heads when I should have called tails, that just doesn't I that just doesn't sit well with me when it's like, okay, you have a 50-50 chance. Again, you do have a 50-50 chance. So if you don't win the coin toss, get the stop. That's your job. Offense, your job is to score. Defense, your job is to stop. It doesn't matter. So let's say Buffalo, let's say out of the blue, Buffalo wins the coin toss instead of Kansas City. Let's say Buffalo doesn't score. Are we talking about this overtime rule then? Because I don't know if we are. I mean, remember this type of, this same type of situation happened like four years ago when Kansas City was playing New England in the... Yeah, and everybody was yelling about, and hey, Kansas City didn't get the stop. And I, you know, I said the same thing then as I did now. All right, I, I, I want to move on here. Next topic, let's talk about the new franchise quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson. Obviously, we're not going to get into too much off-the-field stuff today. I want to talk about on the field mostly. Josh, your first reaction to hearing Deshaun Watson was a Cleveland Brown. Um, it's hard. First of all, it's hard for me to separate the off-field stuff from the on-field stuff, given that it is Deshaun Watson. We know all the stuff he's in dealing with right now. So same thing with Kareem Hunt. Other players who are in, I don't want to say similar legal situations because, you know, every situation is different. But I guess you get what I'm trying to say that. But overall, I like the fit. I'm just wondering, now that Stefanski has 
somebody who can actually throw the deep ball and actually make accurate passes? Are we going to get away from our identity, which is running the ball like seemingly every play? So like 50, at least 50 times a game, it seems like. Let, 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 let me uh, throw this back at you. Um, I think the reason why they ran the ball so much, I think the Browns will still be a run-first kind of offense, especially until Deshaun Watson gets back. But I think one of the reasons why they ran the ball last year is because I said at the end of the season, you could tell Stefanski and Barry, they were out on Baker Mayfield. They tried to publicly support him, but it was clear behind the scenes they were going to get a different quarterback for 2022. And it ended up being Deshaun Watson and credit to Andrew Barry and credit to Kevin Stavansky, in my opinion, for sticking with their guns and going to get their guy. You can say what you want about Watson off the field, and I, I will give you it 100%. You're not going to hear no argument from me. The fact of the matter is, as I've said here on the field, Watson is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. To your point, That's about, a given. To, to your point about the offense changing. Stefanski alluded to it, and I don't know if it was during that press conference on Friday, or I think it was maybe at the week meetings yesterday. He said something very telling that I think when he said, now that Watson is here, now that we have this quarterback, we're going to be able to do some things that we wanted to do over the last couple of years. And so I think that's going to be a lot more play action. I think it's going to be a lot more kind of off the running game, because I do think the Browns were very predictable last year. They went a lot, a lot of 12 personnel and a lot of 13 personnel sets, which is just too outdated in today's National Football Week, where receivers are basically the king. I'm not the hugest fan of Amari Cooper. I think he certainly works better with Deshaun Watson than he would have with Baker Mayfield. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see. I think they maybe put Chubb and Hunt in the backfield together a little bit more than what they did last year, because I think we're going to see a little more shotgun, a little more zone read, a little more spread offense. And quite frankly, that's what I'm hoping, because this league is changing for doing offensive week. Right. So you touched on something interesting, that last season the Browns did a lot of run-first um, schemes going 12 personnel, 13 personnel. It's the same type of thing they did at the end of the 2020 season that got them into the playoffs. And I think a big, first of all, I think a big part of the reason why the Browns were able to win that wild card game in Pittsburgh is because the Steelers shot themselves in the foot really early on and they just continued to do that. But uh, I think what happened was they saw what they thought was a successful scheme in 2020 or at the end of the 2020 season, I should say. And they're like, okay, we're just going to try and do the same thing this coming season. And that just, that's not how this league works. Like, I guarantee you, the Ravens studied what the Browns did in the offseason. The Bengals studied what the Browns did in the offseason. The Steelers studied what the Browns did in the offseason. Various other teams. And they said, okay, let's load the box, stop the run, and force Baker Mayfield to beat us. And what did we see countless times throughout the season? It would come down to the final two minutes where it was like, a 
a must-score situation, and the offense would just sputter. Do I think that's going to happen with Deshaun Watson as the quarterback? No. But and at the same time, am I putting all the blame on Baker Mayfield? No, but I would put most of the blame on Baker. Yeah, you know, I wrote in an article at the end of the season for our company, but we went media detailing that, hey, Baker Mayfield isn't the only person that deserves blame. Kevin Stefanski also deserves blame for the way last season went down at the end as well. I have said, Josh, and I think that you will agree with me on this, for this season only, mm-hmm. I think fans need to temper their expectations. I really? think that, I think that we are looking at a Deshaun Watson suspension. Now, again, what, whether that is, you know, um, I guess correct, whether you think it's justified, you know, you can certainly have your, your own opinions on that. We're going to learn more about these cases as the offseason goes on. Whether it's four games, eight games, ten games, the whole season, or no games. Like, nobody knows what the situation is with Deshaun Watson. And so because of that, now, I like Jacoby Brissett, but if you're giving me a choice between Baker Mayfield and Jacoby Brissett, I'd actually take Baker Mayfield. So we nope. know Mayfield's not going to be on this team next year. I think Brissett is a downgrade over Mayfield if he has to play because of Watson's suspension. So if Deshaun, once say misses, you know, even just four games, if the Browns, and it's going to depend on who they play, but if they start off, you know, one and three or two and two, or let's say he misses eight games and they can maybe hold water that four and four or three and five situation. I just, I think this year, it all depends on playoff aspirations. All depend on whether or not Deshaun Watson is in a Browns uniform and how many games he plays. It's funny that you mentioned, um, like, it depends on who we play and all that. I actually know, have, like, the opponents for this coming season. Well, yes, well, yes. and I, I understand that because the schedule comes out in advance. But as you know, it's not who you play. It's when you play them. No, I'm saying I – like, I know the schedule hasn't come out, so we don't know, like, when we're playing who. But I'm saying, like, the list of opponents – Yes, the list of opponents are out, yes. Yes, I already have that memorized. Okay, well, well, good for you. I, I pretty much <laughs> – uh, I, 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 uh, I, I know that, you know, obviously we got the six division games and you got Atlanta, you have the Bucks, you have the Saints, you have the Panthers in the NFC South. I believe that they also play the, the AFC East. Am, am I running that this year? You yes. The Jets, Bills, Patriots. And then I know that West opponent is the Chargers and I know the Browns yes. do go to Houston as well. So, and then yes. that extra NFC game is the, is the Washington Commanders. And I believe yes. the Browns do go to the Commanders this year. So, yeah, see, I'm not the Correct. only – so, see, you're not the only one that has the schedule memorized. But what's – I mean, what's hey, say, I, say the first four games out of the year, you know, to, are two division games. Let's say they're Cincinnati and or Baltimore. I hope that's not the case, you know. But, I mean, without Watson, that's two losses. I hate to say it. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, although Joe Burrow has not beaten the Browns yet. 
and that's funny to say that because I know that, and it's funny because every time I watch Baker against Joe Burrow and the Browns have won every single game. But by the way, both those games in 2020 took miracle comebacks by the Browns. Cincinnati, when they weren't even Cincinnati yet, played really well against the Browns. And then last year, they obviously came out with their hair on fire with the Odell Beckham situation. Last game of the year, we don't really count. Cincinnati kind of rests all their players. Um, but every time I watch Joe Burrow against the Browns, I said, Browns got to upgrade a quarterback. Like, even in losses, that's why I said Cincinnati going into this year, there was a little bit of hope. I didn't know if Burrow was going to be that great coming off the torn ACL. I thought it might have took him a year to get back. It's why I didn't think Cincinnati would be as special as they were. But you could see it. Jamar Chase, who I loved, I said I would have taken him for Panay Sewell. I didn't vote Cincinnati one bit more. They got E. Higgins. They got uh, Tyler Boyd. They have that tight end, Uzama, and who obviously – He signed with the Jets. Who obviously, as I said, just moved to watch the Jets. But I'm talking about last year's team, not, not this oh, year's gotcha, team. gotcha, gotcha. Well, you could see it. You know, you could see they had some peace. Obviously, we knew their offensive line was better. They fixed that this offseason. But Cincinnati, Baltimore, Browns, Pittsburgh – I mean, Steelers fans are telling me that they're going to make the playoffs. I think that they're delusional. They easily have the fourth worst quarterback in that division in Mitch Trubisky. And I don't care how good your defense is. This world is changing. Lamar Jackson is different. Joe Burrow is a different specimen. The likes of Tom Brady we've never seen before. The Browns now have Deshaun Watson. This division is something else. Yes. I would say the AFC West is better though because think oh, about yeah. it. without i mean Derek Carr is the fourth worst quarterback in that division and oh my goodness he's a top 10 quarterback in the national football league yes that division is insane speaking of that division i want to throw something out at you okay you, you're either gonna think i'm crazy or you're gonna agree with me okay i'll just automatically say you're crazy then kansas city's the worst team in that division right now hmm I've been actually thinking about that one. I'm I'm not ready to fully say you're right, but I'm also not fully ready to say you're wrong. I'm like, I'm right in the middle. So so the division is so interesting because I think if you take the quarterbacks, certainly 90% of people would take Mahomes as the best in that division. I could make an argument, as I have for the past year, I really like Justin Herbert for the Chargers. I think at times his footwork, his precision, his accuracy is better than Mahomes. In some moments, I take Herbert over Mahomes. But, I mean, Vegas, here's the thing about Vegas. They may have the worst quarterback in the division in Derek Carr, and we all know how important the quarterback division is, but this is no ordinary fourth-place quarterback. And the addition of Devontae Adams, this is my sticking point. Kansas City lost, in my opinion, a top-five wide receiver in the National Football League in Tyreek Hill. You cannot duplicate that speed. Vegas added the best wide receiver in the National Football League, I believe, in Devontae Adams to go along with a top three tight end who's similar to Travis Kelsey in Darren Waller, plus a great slot receiver in Hunter Renfro. And they added Chandler Jones to go with Max Crosby. That pass rush, along with those weapons, are loaded. The only concern about Vegas is offensive line, and if Josh McDaniels, the head coach, is a good head coach his second time around, for seemingly he was in Denver before going back to New England. Right. 
Um, I like I said, I'm split on this whole thing with Kansas City because on one hand, I totally get it. Like when a play would break down and Mahomes would just start running around, he would just be like, "Oh, Tyree kills down there somewhere. I'm just gonna fling it to him." So he's not gonna have that ability. And also, maybe it was Ty the threat of Tyreek that made Travis Kelsey be as good as he is. We're going to find out some of those questions, or I should say we're going to find out some of the answers to those questions. But on the other hand, we know how good Mahomes is. And so he still has Travis Kelsey. He still has McCole Hardman. I get it. You're not going to be able to replicate what Tyree Kill did. I totally, totally get that. But I just don't. I don't think Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are just going to sit on their hands and, you know, be like, "Woe is me." They're going to maybe they try and package some of the draft picks they got from the Tyree Kill trade and maybe move up in the draft get one of these wide receivers like the Burks guy from Arkansas. Burks, Craig London, Chris Olave, I mean, Garrett Wilson. I mean, there's a whole bunch of great receivers in this draft. Right. I've been saying, Josh, I don't know if Kansas City got enough for Tyreek Hill. They got I think, I would say Vegas got, or I'm sorry, Green Bay got ripped off when it came to Devontae Adams. I'm sitting there going, these two, both of these two are top five wide receivers in the NFL. I get you got a first and second round pick. You couldn't get two first. Like, I, I don't understand that with the amount of weapons in this league. I mean, the, the Rams just let go of Robert Woods for a six round pick because they went out and got Allen Robinson and Green Bay sitting here. Who the hell is Aaron Rodgers going to run the football to? I'm wondering the same thing, but you know, it's interesting that you brought up how Green Bay only was able to get a first and a second round pick. And we're talking about how Kansas City got five picks for it. I think the Rams and the Buccaneers kind of started a new, um, I'm trying to think of the Trend. word. Wait, say that again. Trend. Yeah, a new trend. Thank you. A new trend of like, screw the draft picks. Go for it now. Because we've seen what happened. Like, yeah, they both, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay did it a little bit differently because they signed Tom Brady, whereas the Rams traded for Matthew Stafford. But it overall, it's the same concept where it's like, screw the draft picks. We don't know if the players are going to turn out like the way we want them to. Let's go out and trade or sign players who we know are legit. Why do you think the Browns pursued Deshaun Watson as hard as they did? Even when the even when the Browns were told, no, you're out of the running, they kept trying to go after Deshaun Watson anyway. Yep, it's called patient aggressive. That's my new term. It's no longer being aggressive. It's called being patient aggressive. It's the aggressiveness is going out and getting the guy, 
but agents figuring, okay, this is our guy. We don't want to settle. We'll keep giving you different offers like Andrew Barry did with Deshaun Watson. He went out and got him. Kudos to, to Barry, and as you mentioned, kudos to Vegas, as well as Miami for going out and getting Tyree Kill. And the funny thing is, this AFC, you know, I talked about it the other day, and this will be kind of our last football topic. Um, you know, we know Buffalo is going to probably win the, the AFC East. Right now, I think with Joe Burrow, they're pretty much a lock once he gets hurt to win the AFC North, I believe. Um, and then you got at least one of the teams in the AFC West will obviously come out. I think Tennessee, for my money, is still the best team in the South. Um, and then it comes down to those wildcard teams. You know, I think uh, Denver with, with Russell Wilson will probably make it. I really like Vegas, as I just mentioned, with the addition of Chandler Jones, Devontae Adams. So for me, that last playoff spot is really, again, going to come down to if Deshaun Watson is healthy. What is Baltimore going to do? Everybody forgets Baltimore was the number one seed last year until they fell apart of the end of last season. You still got Indianapolis in there with with uh, Matt Ryan now, and they were certainly close making the postseason last season. I mean, Miami's going to be good. They're not going to be great. I certainly think, obviously, going from Patrick Mahomes to Tua Tagovailoa is a huge downgrade for uh, Tyreek Hill. But this AFC there's going to be really good football teams and great quarterbacks. One of these great quarterbacks is not going to make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, When you were talking about the AFC East, you only mentioned Buffalo and Miami. Are you forget? I think you're forgetting a team that. No, they're, they're not making it. They're not making it. New England's not even close to the postseason. Like New England has zero weapons offensively. Zero. How did they make it last Zero. year, then? You, you know how they made it last year? Because the AFC was significantly weaker than what it is today. How do you think Pittsburgh made it last year? Because it is significantly weaker than what it is today. The Chargers upgraded. Vegas, who was already a playoff team last year, upgraded. Baltimore is bringing back all their guys with a healthy Lamar Jackson. The Browns upgraded with Deshaun Watson. Hell, even Jacksonville with an upgraded head coach and Doug Peterson is going to be at least somewhat competent and win six, seven games this season, I believe. New England is nowhere freaking close to Buffalo. Uh, Miami is now a step above. Don't give me, just don't give me New England. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not. What gonna... are they doing? And listen, listen, I, I am not a one to criticize the greatest head coach of all time, Bill Belichick. Probably the greatest. You're doing that coach. right now, though. But, but okay, it's not 1980. And, and what they who who the hell are they gonna are they gonna run the ball 50 times a game? You saw what Mac Jones did last okay, year. Okay, but but again, that was in a significantly weaker conference i i do you think the browns are better than what they were last year yes or no yeah obviously okay chargers do you think they're better than what they were last year yes or no for now I, no come on they just upgraded khalil mack jc jackson they have an all-star quarterback in justin herbert yes but here's the thing with the chargers Brandon, I need to see that Brandon Staley learn from his over aggressiveness last year. Wait a minute, what? you 
You okay, would take the Chargers there. over New England. Or you would now, take New England over the Chargers, I mean. It, yes, I would take the Chargers, but still, okay. but still, I don't think I don't think the gap is as big between the Chargers and the Patriots as you're making it out to be. I think it's and, a big gap. Okay, no. how about Denver? How about Denver? Do we think Denver upgraded? Yes or no? Denver definitely upgrading. Okay. How about Indy? Now, I'll give you either way on this. Matt Ryan, to me, is an upgrade over Carson Wentz. How much? I don't know. I think it's a game or two. But I think that that certainly, like I just said, this AFC, I don't even think Indy's capable of making the postseason. Yeah. I'm not sure what the heck the Colts are doing. Because... Frank Reich was supposed to be the guy who could fix Carson Wentz, and they gave up on his butt after one year. Yeah, well, Carson Wentz is a different story. I don't, I don't want to dive into that today. Let's move on, Josh. Let's move on. I want to talk some baseball with you. Um, before we get into our lovely Guardians that have spent $900,000 don't on free agency this year, Yay! I, 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 I want to talk about the new MLB CBA. Um, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a traditionalist when it comes to baseball. Um, outside of the universal DH, which I think is good for the game, I think it'll add 15 new jobs in the National League, and it's much needed. I the, These new, the bigger bases, the pitching clock, the uh, banning the shift, I, I hate it all. Uh, banning the shift to me is like banning zone defense in football. Uh, if you're not willing to hit the ball the other way, why should I be punished? Again, it's just like the NFL overtime rule. Why should I be punished for scoring when you couldn't stop me is the way I kind of see overtime. Same way I see banning the shift. Why should you punish me when I am shifting to stop because you can't hit the ball the other way? I think it's terrible. Uh, I don't think it's going to fix anything. I Players don't bunt anymore. They just go for home runs and strikeouts. The game's a mess. I mean, your thoughts on all of it. I I feel like the whole lockout put baseball really behind the eight ball. We already, I don't want to say we already knew, but I would say the, the, the feeling around the country was that the NFL has destroyed MLB. Like has completely. Well, not just MLB, NBA as well. Like the NFL is here. The NBA is like here. And then baseball is like here. Yes, exactly. Like the NBA and NFL have completely overtaken Major League Baseball. And then the NHL's around, but they're a bit of a mess anyway, which is unfortunate because I love the NHL, but that's a different discussion for a different day. Anyway, so the thing is with this lockout did so much damage already because it just gave people less interest in baseball. They're like, well, they can't get their crap together. So why should I even watch? Or like, why should I spend my hard earned money to buy a ticket to go see this game? Even if it's an amazing promotion, like, Oh, I, it's a bobblehead of a player. I love, but it's like, I don't know if I want to spend the money to actually go see the game. You know what I mean? Well, and and as I have said, 
Uh, it doesn't matter what they do to speed up the game. By the way, my thoughts on speeding up the game is this. Every sport has its different pace. Football has a different pace than hockey. You know, hockey has a different pace than basketball. Baseball is a sport that's designed to be slow. I get it. Sometimes it's way too long for a pitcher to hold his arm behind his back and stare at an inner. But you know what? It's part of the game. It's what made baseball America's pastime. And it doesn't matter what you do. These people, I mean, you go to any ballpark nowadays, it doesn't matter if the score is 10 to 9 or 1 to nothing. Until the seventh inning, they're on their phones or looking around doing something else. Um, and That's they, my point. You know, and they, they need to market the game better. I have said this. I've gotten so much pushback on this because I know it's not realistic and I know it's not going to happen. But I really want baseball to reduce the season to 100 games. I want them to start at Memorial Day weekend. I think that would be perfect for them. I know that it's the end of the NBA playoffs. I know it's the end of the NHL playoffs. But I think, you know, the ability to say summer is right around the corner. Here's Francisco Lindor. Here's Mike Trout. Here's Max Scherzer. Here's Bryce Harper. You name it. Here are these guys. The stars of our sport are back. And baseball just said, you know what? We're going to stick with 162 games. We're going to start April 7th. Good for them and all reality to getting the season in on time because it would have been even more of a disaster if they did not. But the lockout did not fix anything. So, oh my God, you and I agree on something. Miracle of miracles. Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to transition, though, now to the Guardians. Um, and listen, I just wrote an article today for Believe One Media. I just sent it to our owner and operator, Kevin Slide. It's going to be up pretty soon. I talked about the fact that the Guardians this season are relying too much on their starting pitching. Uh, we saw what happened last season when all five guys went down before the All-Star break. Certainly, we hope that's not going to happen again. But the fact of the matter is this team is not going to be built to score many runs offensively. Um, you know, with Josh Naylor coming back, I have advocated for it. It looks like they're doing it today in spring training to put Naylor in right field and have Bobby Bradley at first base. I think that's your best option right now instead of putting Bradley somewhere else and, and you know, Naylor at first base. Um, but I, I will say this, as long as you have starting pitching, I think that this team – Again, hoping no no injuries. I've seen a lot of projections of third or fourth place this year, and I just think with a great of a manager as Terry Francona, as good as our pitching can be, this team, I still believe, and maybe it's hard overhead, I think that they're going to make a move maybe at the trade deadline, and I still think that this team could be in playoff contention late in the season as we head into the fall. Nope. No. This team has third – Third place written all over it. Third place written all over it. Um, I don't see. I'm personally picking the Detroit Tigers to win the division because I'm just not sure what the White Sox did last year. I, I agree with you on that. I'm not sold on Chicago necessarily. Detroit's certainly an, an up-and-coming team. You know, they, they have potentially great starters. But I just I think I think the Indians still or the Guardians I should say top five 
you know, it doesn't really matter. We're we're going to get used to it either way. Top five rotation to me still, if healthy in all baseball, I mean, the oldest guy on that staff is Zach Plezak and Cal Quantro, who are both 27. Now, I'm worried about the workload of those guys, but you and I both know, Josh, and I don't know how you are when it comes to baseball. I mentioned I'm a traditionalist. I certainly do prefer the two-to-one games over the ten-to-nine games. But to me, if you're starting pitching, you have a chance to win this division and potentially be a wild card team if you don't win the division. I mean, when you look at this division, you have Detroit, who's a young, up-and-coming team. I would say Kansas City is in that same boat. They're a young, up-and-coming team. I think they'll be competing for a wild card spot, but just miss out. Um, we have Cleveland, who I, I would say the Guardians are a team in transition. They're not, they're a fringe contender, fringe, but at the same time, they could be on the verge of going into a total rebuild at the same time. Like they're, it feels like they're stuck in like a middle ground of sorts where like after from 2016 to approximately 2018, they were a perennial contender. It felt like they were in the playoffs every single year, but then, you know, they went into this, I I don't want to say free fall, but it felt like they just kind of, close the window on themselves if you will because I think the window was still open for them to contend maybe not for a world series necessarily but still to contend at least to be in the playoffs and do something but for some reason the team just didn't feel that way so I hark back to what happened last season Obviously, Terry Francona missed most of the season due to his health issues. You hope the greatest manager in the history of baseball is back by the dugout for 162 games. But as I mentioned, Josh, you know, with with all of the injuries this team had, and again, it's unlikely that all five starters are going to miss before the All-Star break again. But I are back to how did this team that everybody supposedly thinks is not very good and by the way, we did not make very many upgrades, if, if any upgrades at all throughout the spring. And I understand that. But with this team, how then, if this team is not very good, how do they only finish literally a game under 500 last year? It was a miracle. Exactly. It was a miracle. Um, it's baseball is a weird sport where you. It's such a hard sport to predict. I would say it's the second most unpredictable sport of the big four. I would say, argue that hockey is the more unpredictable sport, but we can have that discussion on a different day. But because baseball is so unpredictable, like before the trade deadline, knowing that Ronald Acuna was injured, you wouldn't depict the Atlanta Braves to win the World Series, right? That's a great point. But look at what happened. Atlanta made all these trade, made all these trades. They completely remade their outfield. And then they go on a hot streak and they win the World Series. 
and and baseball is the hot streak sports. Football is to a degree. Sometimes we've seen a wild card team win, but again, baseball is not like basketball, where you know a top three seed generally had to be to win the NBA championship. Baseball, it's not like that. We've seen the iteration of the wild card rule. The Giants and Royals once one year were both wild card teams. We've seen many wild card teams win it in baseball. So that's why 2019, the Washington Nationals, yep. they were a wild card it's, team. It's why I keep holding out hope that like if this team gets into the postseason healthy and again, maybe they make a move at the trade deadline. I think they go after an extra outfielder. A left fielder certainly is, I think, the biggest weakness on this team. Because I personally would love to see Amid Rosario back at shortstop full-time. You know, you look at, you're going to have Mayo Straw, Amid Rosario, Jose Ramirez, Franmil Reyes, Josh Naylor, you hope, can be healthy in right field, and Bobby Bradley at first base. If those are your top six, that's not a terrible six-man lineup. The issue is the bottom of the lineup certainly needs work. Yes, I get that. Um I want to believe you that the Guardians are going to make some type of move at the trade deadline to go get some big bat in the lineup or a mid-level bat, if you will. But if this uh, offseason is any indication, they're not going to spend a lot of money. They, I, I don't know why, but it's ridiculous. Like, I right now... I don't even think opening day against the San Francisco Giants on April 15th is sold out. It's not. It's the least selling sold out, you know, uh, baseball, uh, you know, opening day in uh, team history. You know, and I've been saying too, Josh, you know, my argument has always been when I hear all these pundits talk about payroll, 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 look at that payroll. You know, I've said, you know, you have teams, you know, like Kansas City when they won the World Series, your St. Louis's, your Tampa Bay, these middle market teams that don't have the best payroll, but they still compete. I think the difference is with this year's team, it seems extremely low. It's second lowest next to Baltimore Orioles in baseball. Where in years past, it seems like, yeah, their payroll was down, but they have a vision. You know, the team is still somewhat intact. And this year, I think the difference is money is down and the vision doesn't seem to be there. Yeah, but the here's the thing. We've never known the Guardians to be this big spending team really like people were for the longest time fans were like desperately asking the Dolans to give Francisco Lindor a contract remember and well and I pushed back on that and I am I'm one of the only people in Cleveland that accepted that Lindor would not be here and I am glad that we got rid of him a year early um, now, I think you do need to extend Jose Ramirez. I think you need to extend Shane Bieber. I was perfectly fine with running Francisco Lindor go in a trade. I, I think you got good value for him with Amid Rosario. And quite frankly, and as I have always said, the postseason matters. And Lindor in those three postseason sort of runs with our baseball team did not sell to the plate. And that last year here was completely ugly. And so I think Jose Ramirez, if they do extend him, which I do in my heart of hearts, believe they will. They had to pick one of them. We knew that. And to be honest with you, I think they picked the right guy. Okay. I'm just trying to make a general point, though, that, like, they 
when they do get like these guys that could become stars or whatever, we don't see the Guardians extend them for whatever reason. And maybe you're right. Maybe we did get rid of Francisco Lindor at, at the right time. We'll have to see. Um, I'm not ready to, excuse me, I'm not ready to say that based off of one season. I like to get a bigger sample size, maybe like three or four seasons. Then I can, I will shape my argument and say, okay, yeah, the Guardians did the right thing or the Guardians didn't do the right thing. That's fair. All right. I, I want to talk a little ABA with you. Not a lot of cast. We've had a lot of discussion on the cast. I, I, I just want to say this. Um, and I know we're, we're going to address this more on the All Things Cast podcast the last two weeks. But to me, it has become super clear that the Cavs need one more wing. Um, and you I think? And, and I, I don't care what they have to give up. I don't care. Oh, so either. wait, 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 wait. What if they have to give up a certain power forward? If they that, have to give up number 24, Lori yes. Martin, you go ahead and give them up. If you have to give up Colin Sexton, like, I don't care. Go ahead and give them up. If you have to give up another first-round back, I don't care. They need to go out. I have thrown out Bradley Beal in our group chat. I think he would be the ideal fit. They they need a star shooting guard next to Darius Garland. As much as I like Isaac Okoro, and he's starting to get better offensively, I don't know if you can win the NBA championship with him as your starting two guard. To me, I think the untouchables are Mobley, they're J.A. and D.G. Everybody else, I am negotiating some window of some sort, and I'm trying to go get a star two guard or a star three. Oh my God! You have come around. Yay! Well, well, um, I I think losing Jared Allen has exposed this team a little bit. Um, and I uh, listen. I I love Martin. I still don't think the teams have figured out to guard three centers. And saying that, I don't know if they have the death necessary to win a championship. And I think the NBA playoffs, and I've been telling Joey this over the last couple of weeks, NBA playoffs are all about star power. You know, Milwaukee's got Giannis. They got Middleton. They they have Drew Holiday. Philly now, this, you know, James Arden, Joel Embiid, Phoenix, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. I mean, these teams have- Memphis, John Moran. John Moran. Now, Memphis, I think, again, I think that they need one more piece to successfully contend and go for an NBA championship. Miami, you know, Jimmy Bower, I'm not the biggest fan of Bam out of bio myself. I think that they're a piece away. Boston, I think that they're a piece away. Tatum and Brown are great. I still think that they need one more piece, even though they've overachieved it from my expectations. Um, You know, if you had to guess, basically, NBA Finals this season, I proposed this question to my guests over the last couple of weeks. I contend, I think it's going to be Phoenix coming out of the West. I think the East, you can make an argument. I think it comes down to Philly or Boston, or excuse me, Philly or Milwaukee, though I think that they could match up in the second round. So who would you have going um, NBA Finals this year? Okay, so I'm going with Phoenix out of the West, but I think they're going to have to get through Memphis in the Western Conference Finals, and that series will go seven games. And then from the East, I think it's coming down to Miami and Milwaukee. 
See, everybody loves Miami, and I understand it because they have great depth. But outside of Jimmy Butler, where's their star power? Like, what what do they add that everybody sees that maybe I don't see where they could beat Milwaukee or even a Brooklyn or a Philly in a seven-game series? Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry? I mean, do you think that's enough? To beat a Giannis and Middleton and Alday or Philly, Joel Embiid and uh, James Harden. I contend they will have the two best players on the court every single game they play. Okay. Miami can match up with Milwaukee because Bam can take on – Bam can guard Giannis. Can they? Did did we not see what happened last year when Milwaukee pretty much splattered Miami all over the wall in the first round? Fair. Um, Fair, but but did you not see what Miami did to Milwaukee two years ago in the NBA bubble? That was two years ago, though. That was different. That was a bubble, and I've said this. The, the bubble was weird. Okay, there was no fans. It, it's listen. I'm not taking anything away from the Lakers and their championship, but that was certainly a championship given to them almost because of the bubble. Not taking away anything from them, but the bubble was different. Uh, Brooklyn. You know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I even have said, listen, Brooklyn could sneak past both the Cavs and the Raptors, which would be my ideal scenario if we could completely avoid Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, let them be the six, and you could have the Cavs and Raptors fight it out 7-8 in the play-in tournament. Um, they're, they're, they're a scary team. Um, you know, I they can beat anybody in every given night. I don't know if they match up necessarily well with a Milwaukee or a Philly but I've been saying it. If Brooklyn faces Miami in round one, I'm taking Brooklyn. Okay. Did you not see what Brooklyn just did to Philadelphia in Philadelphia where Brooklyn just wiped I the saw floor? It, but with- you and I both know they were motivated by Ben Simmons for one game. And a one game is different than a seven-game series. Okay. But Ben's Okay, let me push this back at you. You brought up Ben Simmons, so here you go. He's not hasn't played right now. But but so, does it matter? I, I don't yes. think Brooklyn needs Ben Simmons to win the championship. You're kidding me, right? I I don't. I think that Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, listen, what they got back for James Harden. I mean, Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. That's what they needed. They needed more bench depth. I mean, Ben Simmons. You know, he can't shoot. I never understood the fit to begin with. I think he's just going to clog up the lane. I think he creates more problems for them. Um, I, I I think that it opens up the lane for Kyrie Irving, who's doing his thing, and Kevin Durant, you know, he's had some injury history and maybe too much on him. But Brooklyn is a scary, scary team. I'll give you that. But here's the thing. Ben Simmons doesn't need to score with this team. He doesn't. Because so, so my argument against Ben Simmons has always been, I mean, what's he going to do? Stand out there? Because that's what I do. I leave him open. I mean, yeah, you're going to dare him to shoot. I get that. But when Brooklyn is on defense, now with Ben Simmons out there, Kevin Durant, that means Kevin Durant doesn't have to guard a Giannis the whole time. That means Kevin Durant doesn't have to necessarily guard Jason Tatum the whole time. Or it it means Kevin Durant, let's say they match up with Miami. 
Kevin Durant doesn't necessarily have to guard Jimmy Butler the whole time if that's the matchup they want to go with. So, yeah, Ben Simmons refuses to shoot it, shoot the ball. I get it. But he does other things that could help Brooklyn, like, you know, being the great defender that we've seen him be. Yeah, I, I'm just – I'm a little curious about fit. I, I want to quickly address your point about Memphis. Listen, I think that they are the second-best team in the West as of now. Say that, though. If Golden State gets healthy with Curry, Clay, and Draymond, I think that they could potentially give Memphis problems. They were certainly the leading candidate to be the number two seed in the West before all three of those guys got down. I think in a seven-game series over the course of time, I take Golden State's experience. I don't think they're better than Phoenix. I agree with you. I think Phoenix should roll through the West and get there. But I think this Memphis-Golden State are bound to meet in the second round. And, you know, if Steph and Clay are healthy, I take Golden State. If they're not, I would agree with you and I take Memphis. But here's the thing. How did you start that? You said, if Golden State is healthy. We don't know if they're all, all three of them are going to be healthy at the same time. It's just too – we haven't seen all three of them be on the court at the same time yet this season. And the Warriors are so dependent on the three of them. Like, yeah, Golden State was able to do well without Clay, but that's because they had Steph. Well, now they're without all three. And think about this for a second. The Grizzlies are 18-2 and two without John Morant. And John Morant is their best player. And I completely agree with you. But as I have said here over the last, what, five, ten minutes that we've been talking, the regular season is one thing, and the postseason is a completely different thing. When you get a seven-game series and you can zone in on your opponent and you can match up, that's going to catch Memphis. And if they play a Minnesota in the first round, if John Morant's out for the first round and they play Minnesota, I'm not saying it's going to happen. But I will say this, potential upset alert. I don't know if you can win four straight games against a team without John Morant. Interesting. With Carl Anthony Towns, with D'Angelo Russell, with the kid Anthony Edwards who's been shining, Minnesota's getting hot. And we know that they're going to be the seventh seed, more than likely. I'm telling you, Memphis needs John Morant to win a playoff series. That's an interesting take, and I don't totally disagree with you. All right, well, I'm going to save the last topic here for last, Josh. I know me and you are completely on separate, different pages when it comes to the rail of professional wrestling, sports, entertainment, whatever you want to call it. You're the AEW guy. I'm the WWE guy. We know that this weekend, WWE is calling it the most stupendous WrestleMania in history. First of all, I got to ask you this question because you are so negative, Nancy, when I text you about wrestling WWE. <laughs> are, you, are you even watching this damn show this weekend? Yes, I am. Because it's WrestleMania. And again, that's that's one of my points is WrestleMania. I think there, there's a lot of, you know, I've heard this all this week. Oh, my God. Ricochet's not on the card. Oh, my 
God, what a tragedy. Oh, my God. Finn Balor is not on the card. What a tragedy. Oh, my God. He needs to face Damian Priest. Folks, WrestleMania is sports entertainment. It is global. And as I have argued with a couple of our friends from Believe When Media, I had on my good buddy Michael Reiner, who uh, I sparred with a lot of bugs through radio, and we talked about this. These celebrity matches, quote-unquote, with Logan Paul, Johnny Knoxville. Some people want to throw Pat McAfee in there. I think Pat McAfee is a legitimate wrestler. You can say what you want on that. Um, fact of the matter is, well, I just said it. WrestleMania is global, and these guys, Logan Paul gets a reaction. He gets booed. That's his job. Um, Johnny Knoxville gets cheered. That's his job. That's going to be an insanely fun match, in my opinion, with Sami Zayn. I cannot wait to see everything that goes down over the two nights this weekend. The stars of the wrestling world are on the landscape. AT&T Stadium, Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Um, I don't... How should I say this? I... I don't dislike WWE. I'm, it's just that I'm starting to like it a lot less because it just feels like they're not putting out original content anymore when it comes to their shows, and they're not trying to develop their their younger um, wrestlers. They're relying on Randy Orton. They're relying on Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Rand, uh, Brock Lesnar, like. I get it. They're the guys that are good, draw the most attention and all that. But if WWE wants to, I'm trying to think of how to say this. If WWE wants to stick around, not that they're on the verge of going anywhere or anything, but like if you watch AEW, they push their young talent. Like, they don't just rely on their big guys. Like, I get it. MJF is in a lot of, like, he was just in a feud with CM Punk. I get it. But think about it. Now MJF is in a feud with Wardlow. Like, so they're pushing these guys. Whereas I don't see that with WWE. It's the same guys over and over and over and over and over again. And it just gets tiring after a while i'm like i want to see some fresh new faces on the on your show wwe i i want to see new storylines like not the same storylines over and over and over again that's why when wwe did the seth rollins roman reigns feud i loved that because it was a fresh new storyline that they were doing centering around the Shield and all that. And when Seth came out at the Royal Rumble to the Shield music, I loved that. But that, for me, that feels like a rarity because, again, WWE, it feels like WWE is just like, nah, we're just going to use the same storyline again and we'll just spin in a different way. Or it's like, oh, these two wrestlers have a history. But we're not going to reference it. We're going to have them feud over a motorcycle and a sword. So uh, that, that's not the case. 
uh, especially when you look at the main event of night two, which we know will be Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. I've seen the complaints. I understand. Oh, this will be the third time they faced off at WrestleMania. By the way, so did Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. You all got over that. Uh, this, this Roman and Brock Lesnar uh, feud is different. Paul Amon is now with Roman Reigns. These two guys are completely different than what they were four years ago. Roman Reigns has been Universal Champion for 600 days. He is no longer the big dog. He is the head of the table. He is the tribal chief. Brock Lesnar is no longer a guy that just shows up on that Paul Amon and kicks ass. He cuts promos. He is legitimately one of the most funniest man on the roster today. The other story that I think has a lot of big wags is Bianca Belair, who is a new major star that WWE has developed over the last year. Again, one of the rare ones for the, for the raw women's championship, Bianca Belair getting her revenge for the 26 second mark at SummerSlam. I just detail to you Two very interesting long form storytelling. Yeah, I no, I appreciate that, but it just this is one of my biggest things with WWE. They do a pay per view, or I'm sorry, they now call them premium live events. Which, by they the do way, every. Which, by the way, okay, well, I I know I know where you're going with this, so so let me cut off the, the head of the snake because I'll address both issues. Number one, the premium live event thing. I think it's absolutely correct. I love it. I've said it for the longest time. AEW needs to move to it. UFC needs to move to it. These pay-per-views cannot be, they cannot be $50 anymore. Get on a streaming service. It's the new way of the world. Uh, That's number one. Number two, to your point about them having a show every single month. I get it. Sometimes it's, it's overkill. There would be a couple pay-per-views that I would absolutely get rid of. Yes, I totally understand it. And to your point, it's fair. But I do think that they have done a good job between Elimination Chamber, which I think was absolutely needed after the Rumble, and not having a pay-per-view before Mania. I think that that was a mistake last year. They did Fastlane, which was an unnecessary pay-per-view before Mania. And I think it is adding stakes this year. Go ahead. So I like that. But to add on to the whole point of having a pay-per-view every month, I feel like you don't give storylines proper time to develop. It's like, oh, I I want to get invested in this storyline. Like, they think about it. Why are you so invested in the Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns storyline? Because it's been going on for several months. Why are people so invested in the Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch storyline? It's been going on for several months. Whereas some of these other feuds or matches that have been happening at WrestleMania or that are happening at WrestleMania, it it doesn't feel like the feuds have been going on for long enough for me to get invested. And that's the problem. Whereas... So I'll give you some of it is filler. Obviously, the women's tag team title match is filler. The New Day's match is filler, but you got to get New Day on the card. I completely understand there. You know, over over two nights, and I think this is the conversation that a lot of people have had. I personally love the two-night WrestleMania. I think it was. I do too. I I do too. 
I think it was a good idea. I think it's your best show. The show was way too long. WrestleMania 35 was a good show, but we were all asleep by the main event, and so was the crowd. It, it was a good match, but let's face it, we were all asleep. It was the longest show of my life. Um, I think that some of the stuff that you did with that, though, is you're going to get a woman's tag team title Fatal Four Way match. You're going to get your Usos against the Nakamura's. You're going to get your New Day against Sheamus and Rich Allen because you need to fill out, you know, 16 matches essentially. And right. So I get that. Be, because of that, some of the feuds will not have merit. Um, I give you that some of these matches, like Charlotte and Ronda Rousey, I think will be better than what the feud has been. And that is typically WWE style. Is the buildup is not great. Um, and I give you that can be a problem. But if you watch their premium live events, they almost always are either B or A quality events, in my opinion. I. It depends on... The storyline is a big part of that for me. Like, it, if I get invested in the storyline, then, yeah, I'm going to expect more from the match. Like the Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins feud that I referenced earlier. I'm a huge Seth Rollins fan. He's He has been my favorite WWE wrestler for a while. Um, So... I loved that storyline. I personally think Seth should have been the one to dethrone Roman, but whatever. I think it's eventually going to be Drew McIntyre, but we'll see. Which, that storyline with him and Happy Corbin, that's another one where I'm like, I I want to get invested about it, but I just can't. It's like, I like Drew McIntyre, but it's just, eh. You know, I mean, it, like, I'm enjoying the AJ Styles uh, Edge feud. That's if, been a good... If, if you if you know me, you know Edge is my all-time favorite wrestler. So it has been a killer for me to watch him do this transition of, of persona. It's been a, uh, our, an intro now, his new theme song of a couple of our podcasts. I think this match is going to absolutely rule. Um, yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I want to ask you kind of two more questions and then I think we're we're going to let you go for today. The first question I have for you is, I don't know if you've read the rumors online, but it sounds like as of today, it is official that the main event of WrestleMania Saturday is not going to be Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey. Um, it sounds like it's going to be the KO show with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, you know, I have been making an argument to all of our guests over the last couple of weeks. It's not going to be just a stunner and boom, it's over. Uh, it's not going to be a match either. It's going to be a 10 to 15 minute brawl like I think Stone Cold's in great shape. Um, it's certainly risky, in my opinion, booking a non-match, if you will, to close out a show. But I can actually, the more I'm thinking about it, I see the argument of like, no one is topping Stone Cold. Like, if we put Stone Cold in the middle of the show, Charlotte and Ronda are going to get booed out of the building. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. And obviously, it's probably going to end with Stone Cold giving KO a stunner and sending the crowd home happy. I get that. So, that's valid. But 
WrestleMania is most, for the most part, except for the KO show, it's all about the matches, right? So why not send... So on, on the one hand, I get it. Nobody's topping Stone Cold and Texas loves Stone Cold Steve Austin and all that. But at, on the other hand, it's like, why not send everybody home being like, oh my God, that was an amazing match that I just saw to close out WrestleMania. Like, let's say Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey just put on an absolutely amazing match. Again, maybe that doesn't top Stone Cold Steve Austin in terms of popularity or whatever. But at the same time, it's like, oh, my God, what did I just see? Yeah, like, no, I, I agree. I think now that they I now I've been saying this before before they had shown a run and that because I thought I was thinking and I said they're not gonna main event Stone Cold and KO, are they? I thought maybe you put Becky and Bianca in the main event slot. I have been proposing to make Charlotte and Ronda open the show. Because I don't think it's going to be, you know, that great technical wrestling match that Becky and Bianca are going to have. I think it could be, you know, Ronda throwing punches, Ronda getting a submission. Boom, quick boom. That was fun. Let's move on. A good, fun opening match. Okay. I get that. Um, That's another, like, little issue that I have. Like, having Ronda win the Royal Rumble and having Brock win the Royal Rumble. Like, that's another issue that you I know, have. No, because it's your two biggest stars in the company. It's called marketing. If you want people to put eyes on your product, and I had, oh, Bianca Belair could have won the Royal Rumble again. I totally get it. But you know what? It made for a better story for Bianca to have to go through the elimination chamber to once again get her shot at Becky Lynch. And I'll tell you, I listen, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, Brooke didn't need to win the Rumble. He just won the Elimination Chamber. But if you want to make the biggest match between the two biggest stars in your industry today in Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, I am totally okay with going title for title, champion versus champion. Now, title unification, I have no idea what they're going to do with that. Roman may very well just drop the WWE title and not want it. Um, or they may have one unified champion. I'm very curious to see how they book this, whether The Rock comes out during the match, at the end of the match, or at all. Um, I'm, I am very invested to see who walks out champion at the end of night two. Yeah. But again, that's because WWE has invested so much time. It, they've gone long-term story storytelling. They didn't go, oh, we have four weeks till WrestleMania. Let's try and build this, do a quick feud and get yeah. everyone. I mean, last year it kind of felt like that, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt because it was in COVID times and because that mania was just so special because we finally got the crowd back. Uh, yes. And I, and I think this year they're trying to make it the biggest show possible because it is, think about it, it's the first WrestleMania with a full crowd in three years. Yeah. And so how do you do that? You get as many stars as you possibly can on this show. Yes, I get that. But here's my pushback on that. 
I think WWE is actually scared of AEW a little, a little bit. So they're trying to appeal to other fan, other people than just wrestling fans because Johnny Knox, Johnny Knoxville is probably going to try. Maybe like jackass fans are going to be like, oh, Johnny Knoxville's going to be in a match at WrestleMania. Let me tune in. And perhaps they yes, and that's not to me. That's not an AEW thing. That's what WWE has done all along throughout their history. They try to appeal to every single audience. And to your point, I think one of the things they have done with this show, they have given you, you know, your your fun celebrity segments. They have given you your brutal meat beatdown with Brock and Roman, the invested storytelling, and they've given you a match that will absolutely tear the roof off the place with AJ Styles and Edge, and you can even throw Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes in there, who we all think is showing up and facing Seth Rollins on night one. So I I think that in order to make this WrestleMania the most successful it can be, that's the route they need to go. Last question I got for you, Josh. Give me a match that nobody is talking about. And I'm not, you know, not the Edge and AJ Styles, not Brock and Roman, you know, not one of the marquee matches. But give me a match that you think could be better than maybe what people think. A match that will not necessarily steal the show, but will be very entertaining. Hmm. Ah, that triple threat match for the Raw Tag Team Championships, the... RK, I'm not a fan of RK, bro. I think they're a little too silly. That's it. You're a fan for this podcast forever. Wait, 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 wait. I I get why people enjoy them, though. It they're just riddles for me is just a little too silly. But I love Randy Orton. I love Randy Orton. It's just I I try to become. I've tried to get behind Riddle. I have tried. It's just his character just doesn't connect with me. Okay. Is that that's fair? No, that's fair. Okay. But I I do like the tag team of uh Otis and Chad Gable. I I think Chad Gable has come into his own since being paired with Otis, and he has done such a good job. And then you have the street profits. Montez Ford, who can hit frog splashes like it's nobody's business. Sometimes I I look out my window and I think I see him flying past. And then you have uh, Angelo Dawkins, who's just an absolute powerhouse. So you know that the three of them are just going to be amazing. Like, I appreciate what Riddle does, how he hits the bro Derek and he does great stuff. I just, his character just doesn't connect with me. Hey, listen, I didn't love Riddle that much either. I didn't see much, much in him until we started pairing up with the Viper. And their tag team has been just phenomenal over the last year. I always thought they were going to break up and they were going to do a one-on-one match. Has it ever? I'm glad they haven't because they're arguably the most over team in the company. They have arguably carried Raw over the last year as I have made the argument as the WWE champion has been uh, flipping basically with a hot potato. Yes, um, I do think WWE needs to develop their tag team division more because it they're just basically using the same teams over and over and over again. 
and it it after a while it will get I think it will get to the point of like oh it's we're seeing this match for like the hundredth time it's like oh yay type thing like yeah I think it's going in spurts like I think the Smackdown tag division you know prior to COVID was really good I think necessarily the Raw acting division is really good right now Smackdown has a lot left to be desired but that's mostly because I mean Raw was pretty trash before the last drought and they gave every Smackdown star to Raw I mean we kind of know how this works you know Smackdown's good for a while then it's trash and Raw is good and then Smackdown's good I mean it just goes in cycles right um but I I do enjoy the tag team of Riddle and Randy Orton. Per, like I said, I enjoy Randy Orton more. I I would love to see Riddle have like a change of character a little bit and just become more intense and maybe not get rid of all his silliness, but give him a intensity. Like I'm no, not saying fair. turn him I'm not saying turn him heel, but at times it's just, I'm just like, okay, you're not, you're not quite there, Riddle. Like, I want to see him, like, give me, give me like what Hangman was during, is during this hang, during this Adam Cole feud. Like, I will say this, uh, to bring up AEW for a second. Before this Adam Cole feud, I didn't like Hangman as a champion because I just wasn't connecting with him being this emotional, like, baby face and all that. And I'm like, I want to see, like, the intensity, like, you know, like, I'm the champ type thing. And then when Adam Cole, the Adam Cole feud, feud started, that came out of Hangman. So I want to see. I want to see the same type of transformation, if you will, with Riddle, where give him a few, maybe you do eventually break up RK, bro, turn Randy Orton heel if you want to, whatever. But I want to see what Riddle looks like if he has some type of animosity or intensity, whatever. I think he would be so much better. Because I like his skill set. I really do. That's interesting, Josh. Well, you know what? We're going to go ahead and leave things here. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to let you shout out all your social media and stuff real quick. (laughs) I apologize for going on a little bit of a rant there. But uh, you can follow me on YouTube at Unger to the Max. That is also, I also have a Facebook page called Unger to the Max. You can also follow me on Facebook at The Sports Room and also follow my the show that I do every Wednesday from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock called So What's the Catch? You can find that Facebook page as well. Um, yeah. Oh, and on Instagram, it's at Unger to the Max. And you can also follow The Sports Room. Gotcha. Well, thank you, Josh, so much. I'm sure I will be popping on one of those shows that you do recently soon. It's always fun to sit down and chat with you, buddy. Yep, always fun. All right, thanks. Well, we're going to wrap things up here. As always, you guys know where to follow us on Twitter at BrandonWoods underscore something and at real underscore people. We'll see you guys next time on the Brands World Podcast, where this week, Thursday and Friday, we preview the most stupendous <laughs> WrestleMania 
in history. We'll see you guys then. And peace.